Welcome to another episode of the ECE Tech Talk, brought to you by the Bradley Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Virginia Tech. I'm Evan Allen, a senior in computer engineering and an ECE ambassador. And I'm Gwen Steele, also a senior in computer engineering and an ECE ambassador, and we will be your hosts today. Our guest today is Randy Marchini, and I'm really excited to have him on because he does so many different things. Um, he is the director of Virginia Tech's IT Security Laboratory, and he's also Virginia Tech's Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, as well as an instructor in the ECE department. Randy has been working at Virginia Tech for over four decades now, and he was a member of the White House Partnership for Critical Infrastructure Security and has written or co-authored over 40 papers and articles on cybersecurity. Randy is also a senior instructor for the SANS Institute, which is one of the premier instructional institutes for cybersecurity. Hi, Randy. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. My pleasure. Would you like to add anything to Evan's introduction? Maybe he missed anything about you or there's anything else that the listeners might be interested in, like a fun fact? Oh, well, gee, a fun fact. Let's see. So <laughs> I played I played in a band that, that uh, uh, did a lot of acoustic music. Um, the band's name was No Strings Attached. And uh, we were together for 38 years. We put out nine albums and uh, six of them were nominated for what they uh, called in that era in the 80s and 90s, an Indie Award, which was the uh, independent record uh, labels versions of the Grammys. And, uh, and one of our albums won uh, the best album in the string music category back then. And uh, that opened the door for a lot of uh, for a lot of opportunities for us to go touring all over the US and uh, the UK and and Ireland, so it was, and parts of Europe. So lots of fun. Um, there's a public radio program called World Cafe. Um, it's been in existence now probably 20 some years, but for the first eight years of the, of the uh, program series, um, they used one of our songs um, as the theme song for uh, their show. Um, another little I guess a tidbit when I was in grad school and, and also just as a volunteer, uh, I was a, a grad assistant volleyball coach here at Virginia Tech for the Tech women's team. And uh, I, my uh, six degrees of separation uh, you know, game is uh, I'm one degree away from uh, Stefan Curry. What? Uh, uh, his, <laughs> uh, I, coached his, I, I coached his mom, uh, uh, Simon. Wow. <laughs> Um, uh, from, uh, uh, she was a, a player here, a volleyball player here at Virginia Tech. Uh, Del Curry, of course, was, was a basketball player in, uh, here at Tech as well. Uh, but Sonia played for us for uh, uh, three years, and then she uh, went off to, to be with Del and then came back eventually and finished. But we held, we held Steph when he was a little baby. So Aww. That's incredible. Oh, my gosh. So that that's my that's my other uh, little you know fun fact I guess. Yeah, that that's that's a very fun fact. Do you have a, a Spotify for your band or like Apple Music or? Um, it, it, it's on a CD Baby, I guess. Okay, yeah, that's really cool. You can maybe get a lot of use, listeners, maybe. Maybe we can use one of your songs for our podcast theme. Song. It, it would be it would be uh, it would be different music. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you, it, it would be fun. It's a, I, I play an instrument called a hammer dulcimer. Um, so it's it's basically a, a trapezoidal shaped instrument um, it, with, um, it, you know, if you've seen an auto harp, 
um, strings run across the front of the, the top of it. And you've got these wooden bridges. So you just sort of elevate the strings off. And, and basically you have these um, like two little hammers. I'm just using pens here, but you hit them like a xylophone. And uh, it gives you a really cool, a cool tune. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So, so it's um, like a yeah, mix between like a xylophone and the inside of a piano. Yeah, yeah, the, the the yeah. If you you know like if you ever played a piano and you pluck the strings with your fingers, you get that kind yeah. of ringy sound. It, it's more like that, but it is actually yeah. it is actually the forerunner of all of the keyboard instruments: uh, the harpsichord, the clavichord, and and the pianos. Um, uh, you know, so originally it was two two hammers, and then somebody said, "Hey, you know, if we build something that looks like a keyboard, we can do more than one note at a time." But yeah. So it came uh, first. Uh, it came first, yeah, yeah. The the, the wow. piano themselves, I think they're only four or five hundred years old, maybe sixteen hundreds yeah. thereabouts. But um, this family of instruments is is about a thousand, well, thousands of years old. Um, it's actually mentioned in the Bible of all things, but um, uh -huh. but uh, it, uh, it's a, a Persian instrument, I think, is the, where it came from. And then when the Crusaders and, and uh, you know, went into the Middle East, they brought back a version, uh, you know, uh, of the instrument with them. When the Mongols went through Asia, they took back an instrument with them. So there, there's an instrument of, of, of this type in pretty much any of the cultures out there. In China, it's called a Yang Qing, which means foreign instrument. Um, <laughs> in Eastern Europe, it's called a Chimbalan. Uh, and they're big, you know, they're, they're big things. If you ever watch any of the 1940s movies like The Wolfman uh, or uh, some of the old Frankenstein things, uh, Do you think when you, you hear the sound, you, you may recognize it on like some, some commercials and some movies out here uh, these days. I was going to ask, do you think you can, you can vocalize the sound for our listeners? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, got, I've got some of, my, my, uh, of our CDs on on uh, my, my iTunes thing here. And so I could probably, you know, whip something up there in, in a minute or so. So, so that's I, my fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. So our first main question is, um, you're very, very involved in cybersecurity, both in your personal life and at Virginia Tech. And we were kind of wondering how you got into computers and cybersecurity, like what kind of sparked your interest? Um, so, Let's see, this is my 30th year in, in cybersecurity now. Um, before that, I was a system sysadmin. I was a Unix sysadmin um, at, at that stage of my career. And um, here at Virginia Tech, uh, we, we, used, we had um, uh, three Unix servers, one in the computing center, which is um, now the data center here. Uh, one was in computer science and one was in, uh, uh, in electrical engineering. Um, and so um, uh, when students uh, were taking computer classes, they would log into these mainframes. So it was one big giant machine that could support a couple hundred, almost a thousand users at a time. Um, so I was uh, managing one of those. I was a system in one of those. And in 1991, um, it got hacked. Um, some uh, hacker uh, took it over uh, uh, and um, Hit, hit our machine, hit the one in computer science. Um, and the one in computer science, uh, uh, the guy started deleting files from, from that machine. Um, they hit 
hit ours and they started deleting some files, but for some reason they stopped. Um, but it took us about two and a half months to sort of fully recover and rebuild everything, uh, you know, from, from, from backup tapes and from scratch. And in those days, uh, installing Unix, um, system, you know, the operating system itself, it, it took a day and a half just to, to restore the operating system. And then you had to load up all the other stuff. So, you know, one of the, I always joke about one of the fundamental rules about being a good system in is that you're fundamentally lazy and you write all these scripts to automate tasks. And uh, so we decided that uh, um, Ron, my backup and I, we, we decided to see, figure out how the guy got in because we didn't want to go through this two and a half month thing again. So we started looking for, for books and, and on, uh, on you know, computer security and Unix security. And the only books that we could find were uh, uh, on cryptography. Uh, and then we found a little niche of books about uh, internet and internet security and, you know, not much, there wasn't a much, a lot written about it. Um, and so, you know, we, we got copies of those books and studied, started studying them. Uh, Gene Spafford, who is a professor of computer science in Purdue University, he had written a book on how to secure a Unix system. So, so we started looking at that. And then literally out of the blue, I got an email from this uh, outfit called the Sands Institute that was just starting up. Uh, and they were advertising uh, a technical conference. Uh, Sands in those days was like the, the Schmoocons and the, and the smaller, con the B-sides of today. Um, it was a two-day conference uh, and just technical talks, 50-minute you know, technical talks. And um, they, they had a list of the speakers, a partial list of the speakers, and uh, almost all of those speakers were authors of the books that we were able to find. So I went to my boss. I said, it's up in the D.C. area. I grew up in the D.C. area. I said, you don't have to worry about lodging. I can stay with family or friends. Um, and he said, how much is it? I said, 400 bucks for the registration fee. And he said, I don't have the money um, to send you. Damn, you know, that's, yeah. I really wanted to go. And, and then uh, basically um, uh, about a week or so later, um, we got another email from the Sands Institute saying that they were looking for uh, speakers to talk about computer security. Uh, and if it got, if your proposal got accepted, then they would waive the registration fee. Um, and so Ron and I, we thought, well, this is great. But then we went, we don't know anything about cybersecurity. <laughs> We wanted to go to this thing. And uh, he suggested, he said, well, I, I guess we could talk about the hack that happened to us. And, um, you know, so we, we, we submitted a talk. Uh, um, I still remember the title was Anatomy of an Incident. Um, and basically we, we were, you know, going to describe what happened to us, what the causes were, you know, what we had to do to fix it. Um, and and this, sometimes it's, it's, it's good to not be knowledgeable in, in, in a field. <laughs> uh, we didn't know at the time that no, nobody wanted to talk about how they got hacked because they were afraid that if they said they got hacked, that all these hackers would start attacking them when exactly the opposite would have happened, right? I, I wouldn't have gone to a, machine, a, a site that had already been hacked because they would know what to look for, right? But, Right. Anyway, um, the, they accepted the talk. Um, we went up and, and, and did a talk, uh, you know, did our thing. Um, it was like 400 people standing room only, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> pretty nerve wracking at that time. And um, 
And, and uh, it, the reaction was really, really good. And Alan Paller, who was the founder of SANS, he came up to us afterwards and he said, hey, uh, that was a really good talk. Uh, we've got some projects that, you know, we're looking for people to work on. Are you guys interested? And we said, yeah. And, you know, 20 some years later, 30 some years later, um, you know, I'm, I'm a senior instructor for SANS Institute. I'm actually the uh, instructor number two. Them. So, um, and, and those opportunities that, that came from that, that simple little decision, um, you know, led us to, to writing, helping be on working groups that wrote some of the standards, that wrote some of the guidelines and created some of the tools that, that people and vendors use today. So that's kind of how I fell into it. It was all, you know, quite by accident. <laughs> Who knows what would have happened if you did if you could have just gotten the four hundred dollars for the original registration fee? <laughs> well, you know, I, I laugh, you know, but when you, when you, what you guys are going to learn as you as you go through is your career and actually your life, but it, but your in you know, your career is just a bunch of yes no questions. You know, uh, if 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 my boss had said yes, I would I probably would be doing you know just standard sysadmin stuff and not really, you know, getting out of my, my shell or anything like that. Um, you know, and, and then, if, then when we did do the talk, if, when Alan asked us if we wanted to work on projects, if we had said no, we, you know, who knows where we would have wound up. So, but yeah, I know some, sometimes I go back and I, I, I actually, um, my old boss, he's still around town and every now and then I see him, I said, just want to, you know, I want to thank you for not, you know, not sending me. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy how I guess sometimes like the best opportunities can come from someone telling you like you can't do something. Yeah, and and and, and you know, I, th I think uh, I, that's one of the nice things about working here and, and I've been really really lucky with with the team that I have because in, in some ways you know over the years um if somebody told us that that it can't be done, we kind of go, well, why not? You know, I mean, and sometimes sometimes they were right. It couldn't be done, or at least we couldn't figure out how to do it. But more often than not, we'd figure out a way, you know, how to do it. Um, and um, uh, another another uh, a professor friend of mine uh, in, in the ECE department, you know, he 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 always uh, actually I still have this thing here. Um, let me see if you can read it. The person who says it cannot be done should not interrupt the person who's doing it. Chinese <laughs> proverb. <laughs> I still have this little, this little thing that he gave me, you know, years ago, but you just kind of have to get a little stubborn about it sometimes. Yeah. That's really good advice. If you could do it all over again, do you think you would change anything? No. <laughs> that's the way to be. That's, that's my goal. It, it really, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, the bad parts of, of, of you know, what, what turned out to be bad things in my career and that I, I probably wouldn't want to do it. But, you know, even even with the bad stuff, you, you come out of it. I, I would not be here had I not you know gone through that that stuff. So. Um, you know, it, it may have been bad in the short term, but it was it was good in the long term, you know, so. Um, but again, you know, I, I did have a career goal, you know, when I first started um, um, my job in, in uh, you know, in computers, 
um, you know, my goal was to be the director of a, of a computing center, what, what we now call a chief information officer, a CIO. Um, you know, so that that was my goal, uh, my career goal. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm one level below that now, but but frankly, where I am now is probably where I you know want to be uh, in terms on this on the cyber side of the house. But so I, I did have that, and and slowly but surely, you know, I was working my way to get there. Um, so my some other advice I would give you guys is is you don't always get the you don't always get the training or the background that you need to move up in your job from your job. Um, you know, I, I knew a long time ago that I needed to, 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 you know, you go to all the management things and they say you have to be an effective speaker, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, own, own your public speaking skills. And, um, you know, when I was finishing my undergrad degree, I, I, I did take a, you know, public speaking class, most terrifying thing I ever did. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I the band being in the band and having to to talk to an audience and and you know sometimes there were small audiences you know 20, 30 people and sometimes there were fifteen thousand you know sixteen thousand people in a big festival, but but that that type of practice that I got uh, talking to an audience uh, for, uh, via the band that that got me real comfortable in in doing talks in front of people. Um, and, and, you know, when in a band, uh, you know, the, the sort of the self-discipline, you, you know, you, you practice, you know, the, the, we were very lucky in that we, uh, you know, we stayed together 38 years. And the only reason why we, we disbanded was because, you know, um, one, one of the guys, you know, was retiring and he moved, he moved away far enough away, but, um, but, you know, you, you, you get that sort of chemistry, but we, we all, there, there were four of us and, and, and we all practiced, you know, we, we just practiced our stuff uh, out, you know, on our own and you just practice it and you make it, you make it look good. And, and then, you know, that in combination playing, cause people would come up and say, God, you guys are having a lot of fun and you're always so tight together, you know, and, and, and you, you seem to know where everybody's, you know, what's going to do. And, you know, it's, it's just, you make it look so easy. And, and that to me is like the best compliment you could, you could pay anyone. Because you know deep down it's not easy, but if you can make it look easy, that means that that you all that work you did ahead of time, you know, goes into it. Um, so you know, so the band got me started, uh, you know, uh, on the public speaking side of the house, and then, you know, to be a to be in my position, you have to you know get some good management skills, and uh, you know, the, in the technical side of the house, the system inside the house, weren't a lot of opportunities for that. But that's where I stumbled onto the coaching uh, piece, and um, you know the the tech women's team in, in the '80s. Um, I used, uh, volleyball is one of my favorite sports, and one of the guys that I used to play a lot of uh, uh, volleyball with, um, he was the head coach here at, at Virginia Tech. And so he was. He, one day he just asked, uh, you know, two of us if if we could come over and help him uh, with the drills uh, for the team and. You know, after a while, you learn how to you learn the management skills. They send you to coaching clinics, and coaching clinics are are really nothing more than management training stuff. How do you how do you motivate athletes? How do you get people to function as a team? You know, what do you do when you have a problem athlete? You know, a, a, a prima donna or or you know just somebody who's a head case. Uh, how to deal with those type of things? So, um, coaching turned out to be 
and, and I did it at Tech, and then I did uh, club club team stuff, like sort of the equivalent, the volleyball equivalent, like AAU. Um, and and that that sort of got me some really valuable, you know, management training. But again, all of those things were outside of the job. And then you, you just bring those in and, and you apply them, you know. So people say, oh, oh, you're a great, you know, speaker. You know, it must come naturally to you. So, no, I played in a band for 30 some years. And that's 30 years of, you know, public speaking that I had to do. Or, you know, 25 years of coaching at, at different levels, you know, to, to gain the skills. So, so, you know, if you've got a hobby or something like that, uh, um, always think about, what skill am I learning in my hobby that I can apply to my job and, um, and, and vice versa. I mean, you know, sometimes the job thing, you know, you, you lay out your work plans, you lay out your other plans and, and you, you have fun with it. That's really cool. I, I think it's really interesting that I guess like the most educational things in your life can be the things that you do for fun. I know that yeah. a lot of times, like you've told me, like off the podcast, it's important to be like a geek that can speak. Yeah. Yeah. A geek that can speak. Exactly right. That's, uh, you know, I mean, uh, if you can't, you know, I, I, I know some really brilliant people here that, that, and they admit it, and, you know, the, they're self-aware in that thing. They said, I can't get in front of people and talk about it, but these people are scary, brilliant. I mean, they're just scary, scary, brilliant, but you know, but they have to work in a corner by themselves and, and, you know, get the challenge out and all that type of stuff. So, um, but yeah, you know, the, the, the technical piece of your job is, is certainly important in your career, but it's the, it's the accompanying stuff that, that, that gives you that edge, you know, as you move further down the, the road. And we've talked a lot about different things that you've learned over time, but we also want to know is there anything in particular that you really love to teach other people? And also kind of a fun thing along with that, is there a favorite course that you've taught at VT? Um, well, I've only taught two courses <laughs> 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 and uh, uh, here at VT and, 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 and I, I built both of them. So, um, oh, I didn't but, know that. Uh, 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 you know, so I, I, I teach 4560, which, which um, ECE 4560, the uh, computer networking, you know, security fundamentals course. Um, that one, I, I, I built that one uh, at the request of the double E department head at the time, uh, back in 1998, um, when uh, the Northern Virginia campuses wanted some hands-on, uh, you know, cybersecurity experience. Um, but that course is, that course is a, is a living thing because every year I have to update it. Um, it it's not, you know, I mean, there's nice textbooks and things like that, and they're good, but I like to teach the students, you know, current stuff that's out there now. And so uh, every summer I have to, you know, look at it and, and, and go, you know, okay, time to update it. Um, and then the second course I teach is a, is a part of the Masters of Information Technology program, um, the MIT program, and it's ECE 5585, IT Security and Trust 1. Um, and that course is very similar to the, to the senior level course, just a slightly different bent to it. Um, but the the fun thing it's when you see when you see, like if I'm looking at your you know your faces while we're while we're talking about a concept, and then your eyes just kind of go you know it's just it's just a little flicker of the eyebrow when when all of a sudden it all clicks for you, um, and and that that's the cool parts when when all of a sudden I see you get it. 
and and uh, you know and and then at that point you know we come back and and like um, a lot of times you know students will come here in the lab and um, I said well I got this idea I said you know will it work and I said I don't know you know have you tried it they said no no you know I, I need to know I said well that's what research is you know you got an idea let's try it and see see if it works out um, you know and and uh, I, I have another saying is dare to suck. Uh, <laughs> Now, a lot of times people, uh, when I teach some, because I teach some music classes too in, in various workshops at festivals and on how to play the hammer dulcimer um, and, um, you know, or arranging tunes for a band and, and that type of stuff. But, you know, I, there are lots of times when, when you watch the person and their hands are right over the right note, but they're like afraid to hit it, you know, because they, they think it's going to sound bad. And so you kind of have to just go, you know, hit, you know, move, <laughs> get them to hit it. Um, and, and, you know, it said, look, you know, when you're, when you're trying these things out, it, you know, again, it, it's not, it, it's rare that a first draft is perfect. In fact, I don't, I don't, I think that's like, you know, finding a unicorn, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, your, your first draft is, is almost never, you know, uh, perfect. And in some cases, not even close. And you just have to keep rereading it and refining it and, and you know, reading it and refining it. And then the key is know when to stop. You know, you just, you, you know, you hit that part of the curve where it starts to flatten out, then just stop and, and you know, let it go from there. Um, but it, it's that it's that look on the face when, when you know, you see something click or, uh, you know, and and sometimes you don't notice it until, you know, like a, a I, in fact, I just had one guy, a former student come up to me that um he was a student of mine like 10 years ago and he came up to me and he just said, Hey, you know, I just got promoted to be a CISO uh, at this, um, you know, mid-sized corporation uh, in the Midwest. And he said, you know, uh, he said, I just want to thank you because I, 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 I took the stuff that you told us to do and I did it, you know? And I was like, you mean it worked? <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, but, you know, it's, it's that type of stuff that when you hear something like that, then you go, okay, I, I guess I did, you know, get through to that person. That must be so rewarding. Like, you actually really made an impact. Yeah, and I mean, lots of times, you know, you don't know it um, until much later, uh, but that's okay. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's, part of the, that's part of the game. I like that, dare to suck. Yeah, dare <laughs> to suck. I mean, you know, if you, if you make a mistake, you just own it. And, and, you know, I know not to go down that road, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, and that's a, that's a saying, I think that, that, you know, my, uh, my dad, uh, he didn't quite use those words, but I think that's what he was trying to tell me one time, but, you know, he, he would just say, look, you know, you're going to get in these situations where you just go, I need to get out of this. And he said, you know, a lot of times people are scared to get out of it because they don't know what's at the other end. And he goes, well, if you're in a bad situation, what could be worse, right? <laughs> get out of the bad situation and, and, you know, flip a coin, you know, that you're not going to get into two bad situations in a row, you know, that type of stuff. So, yeah. And then, and I mean, that's what we do. We're, you know, we're, we're a research university, right? For every idea that succeeds, there's, you know, five or six that fails. And, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, what is it, all, all the stuff about entrepreneurs, you know, they, they, their businesses keep crashing and they keep failing, but you learn from your mistakes. And that's, the, that's the trick. That's really good advice. If you could 
So you've already created those two classes. If you could create like another class for mm. Virginia Tech, either ECE or anything else, what would you want a course to be created? Like no limitations. Boy. Um, well, if, if I was going to stick with the cybersecurity side of the house, I, I would probably um, um, build a, a network forensics course. Um, you know, the... Um, uh, cyber forensics is a big, you know, hot field now, and and you have you basically have two types of forensics. One is a device forensics, you know. So you got this, and and uh, you know, to me, that type of forensics is is like if you're doing an autopsy on a body, right? Um, you know, you dive into it, you figure out what the malware was that that deleted yourself or killed it, and you go from there. Um, but network forensics for me is like taking a picture of the crime scene where, where, you know, you see the evidence of the crime, but based on a body of knowledge, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> you watch, if I've watched too much CSI or whatever, you know, but, you know, oh, the blood splatter on the wall indicated <laughs> that the victim was taller than the, than the assailant, you know, because of the upward swing or, you know, it's that type of stuff that you can get Well, you, you can see that similar clues, of, you know, like that, uh, doing network forensics. Um, you know, uh, packets leave packets leave a path. Uh, you know, you see a wake. If I see a wake in a in a in a pond, but I don't see a boat, I know something went through there to create the wake. Um, so, if I was going to do that, it would probably be a course on network forensics that that I would build. And and I've been lucky that uh, uh, some of the uh, SANS instructors that I've met um, uh, over the years, they're they're, they're fabulous guys on, on this. A couple of them have written some textbooks on it and things like that. If I was going to do a, a if I was going to do a, a, a fun course, uh, I would probably. Are you saying able... that cybersecurity isn't fun? Well, well, <laughs> you know, it, it, to me it is, but, but you know, maybe not to everybody, but, um, but, but if I was going to do a different course, <laughs> um, I, I'd probably, I'd probably be over an ICAT. And, oh yeah, uh, that's the uh... in the arts and the and the technology stuff. My my master's thesis was was <laughs> my master's thesis was I I built an electronic version of a hammer dulcimer. Uh, so um, um, which is kind of funny because nowadays um, you know if you look at a drum pad, uh, that's the underlying technology that I used to to build something that was you know the equivalent of a hammer dulcimer. It, it was a con it was a controller. That, I, that you could hook into a synthesizer. And so I, I, the sounds were generated by the synthesizer, but the, the actual, you know, you could play it like a hammer dulcimer. And I had these piezoelectric um, uh, strips uh, that I, I would use to, to generate, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the flex would generate a, a voltage and that would tell me that this particular thing was hit. Um, it was kind of fun because I had to go into this whole area called psychoacoustics and uh, which sounds like a punk band name, but uh, um, <laughs> it was stuff like, um, you know, like I, I still remember just this one thing. There was a, a German experiment that they would have these uh, like telegraph uh, clicks, right? And they would take the time interval between two clicks and they would shorten the time interval and they would ask the test subjects to let them know when they heard only one click. And what they discovered was was the the audio version of what you see visually, that if two clicks happen less than two milliseconds apart, you would hear it as one. 
one click. And it turns out that that's the little principle that for modern day synthesizers, when you play a chord on a piano synth, for instance, you get this, you know, you get a sound because the tones are generated inside that two millisecond window. So your ear hears it as one complete chord as opposed to three, you know, oh. discrete, discrete tones. Um, because, you know, it, uh, on, a, on an acoustic piano, right? If a hammer doesn't hit the string at, a, if the three hammers don't hit the strings at exactly the same time, you got overlap. And, and, and so, you know, one overtone carries over to the second note to the third note. But on an electronic instrument, when you hit that one note, it happens when you hit it. So, you know, you, if you don't, if you didn't have a way to get it, you know, if I'm trying to hit a chord, my fingers aren't going to hit the thing exactly at the same point in time. Right. So you would hear this instead of a bing, you know, instead of a three note chord. But if you if you can get it to if you can get those tones to hit within that window, then your ear would would, you know, take over. So fascinating stuff like that. And and, um, you know, what the, what they're doing over in ICAT, mixing computer stuff with tech and technology stuff with with the arcs, uh, that, that would be that would be a fun, a fun thing to to, to do, I think. Can you explain what ICAT is? Uh, it's the Institute for Creative Arts and Technologies. I think it's it's um, they're based in the in the Moss Center um, uh, over here where the con the big concert hall is. Which, by the way, the concert hall at the Moss Center is one of the top five in the country acoustically. Really, I didn't know that. I, I mean, it looks cool. I knew that, yeah, but it really is. <laughs> and, um, but they have a they have a, over on the you know if you're looking at 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 Moss uh, at the building from the mall. The, you know, the, the theater is on the right-hand side, and then on the left-hand side, they have this, uh, it's a boxy-looking thing they call the cube, uh, which is, if you've ever been, yep, go in there and they, uh, when they're doing a tour, because they'll have like a three, one of their demos that I saw, they had like a 360-degree um, uh, panoramic film of, of like Castle Coliseum, like somebody was on center court and they just took pictures of, of the whole thing, but you're standing in the middle of the room and it's got like 160 some speakers around so you can hear the sound all around you and no matter which way you turned it would be like if you were standing on center court in, in castle so that type of stuff would be kind of cool uh, um, uh, there was somebody that had a, a mobile sculpture that these different colored panes would flip and change colors and give you all these weird you know visual patterns and the whole thing was controlled by a, a, a whole set of arduino that were, you oh, know, wow. and, and they're the ones that actually move the, the, the individual panels to create these images. So, you know, it, it was kind of a, a neat way to, to, you know, take your electrical and electrical and computer engineering, uh, uh, you know, skill and mix it a little bit with, with some artistic stuff. Yeah. Could you see a collaboration between ICAT and the IT security lab in the future? Yeah, maybe down the road. I mean, uh, uh, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was hmm. I was moving some stuff in my office, and, and uh, when I saw one of your questions, and and so um, this is something that one of the students of uh, uh, the, <laughs> the capstone project in uh, in ECE. Yeah, um, can you describe it for the yeah, listeners? So what what you see here is basically looks like a potted plant. Okay. But what it really is, it's a it's a device to capture uh, uh, network traffic 
and it's a device to capture Bluetooth traffic. And if you look carefully through the here, you see an antenna. Yeah, there's like an antenna like behind the leaves. It looks like right. a stem so kind one, of. One antenna is for Bluetooth, one antenna is for wireless uh, network traffic. And we just sort of hide it. And then inside is an Arduino setup. It's really a modern day version of this. <laughs> and what's that? Um, it's actually a Nerf rifle, a Nerf gun rifle. Um, and it, we use Pringles cans as antennas. Yeah, well, like for the listeners, this is like basically a Nerf rifle with like two Pringles cans on the barrel. Right, it's two like... Pringles cans Velcroed to the barrel of a Nerf rifle. The red one does uh, Bluetooth, the green one does uh, wireless traffic. And then uh, it has uh, a GPS, and then it's got a cradle that um, uh, one of the small mini uh, um, laptops that we can Velcro to it. And then this is just all the wiring to connect all of these guys into the, into the, uh, um, the laptop. So what can it do? Like I could take this like Nerf electronic <laughs> rifle and uh, is it like a receive or send? It's, it's a receive. So it's like a sniffer. Um, it, it would capture, it would capture network traffic. And uh, when this, when that one was built, it was about 10 years ago. A lot of wireless traffic was still in the clear. And so um, this thing could intercept those packets and rebuild them. And then I could see, you know, we could we could follow what somebody was doing on, on the net. Uh, again, this is before, uh, you know, wireless traffic got encrypted. Um, but, um, you know, if you were using Bluetooth, uh, um, we could connect to a Bluetooth headset, for instance, and listen in. Not when the not when the headset was in use to the, to a phone, but you know a lot of people sometimes they they like to leave the headsets in their ear anyway, um, and so what we could do is we could connect to the headset <laughs> and listen to anything that was you know that the person was saying, as long as they weren't using it you know for a phone call, um, and then uh, you, we also could inject audio files into the headset so you could hear something playing. Um, and the reason why that, that you could do that is because a lot of your Bluetooth headsets or your Bluetooth devices, they have a pin code, but that pin code is hard-coded by the manufacturer. And because it's hard-coded by the manufacturer, it's almost always four zeros or Wait. four nines or four ones or one, two, three, four or four, three, two, one. Um, and all you need to connect to an idle Bluetooth device is to know what that pin code is. Wait, wait. So... The manufacturers put in a pin code for security so that you can't do this, but then they made right. it the same pin. Right, all because the... it's hard-coded, and so you can't change it. That it's seems like pretty good security. Set it to. And so this is, one of the big, this is one of the big crises, if you will, with cybersecurity these days in the Internet of Things, right, is... Uh, you know, you're, you're, you have a printer, a, 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 a laser printer or something that you're using, right? Um, if you take your browser, if, if it's connected to the network, it, you know, so uh, if you have a, a printer at your house connected to your home network and you had to give it an IP address, right, uh, in your home network, if you took your browser and pointed it to that IP address of your printer, you would get a control screen that lets you manage the functions of the printer. 
those printers and copiers and scanners, all those things have, have um, an administrator account. So you could do all sorts of stuff, but almost always by default, they either set it to a default word or they don't set it at all. So anybody could, could get, you know, could connect to it. And if you didn't have the password set on that device, they could print whatever they wanted or, you know, waste your paper by telling it to print thousands of test pages and, and things <laughs> like that. So, you know, um, uh, uh, what's the first thing they always tell you when you get a, a, a wireless router for your place, right? They say change the default password. Um, because if you go out to Google and, and type in uh, default passwords, you will find websites that have the default passwords for all of these uh, devices. Uh, you know, so um, yeah. Uh, one thing I tell the, the students in 4560, I said, look, you guys are going to work for companies that are designing and building these products. I said, you got to put security in at the very beginning and not as an add-on. So the thing with Bluetooth is, you know, they just figured, well, we'll set it to something because we have to, but we can't, you know, there's no way that we can let the, uh, allow a person to set it on their own because how would you do that? Either through software or through little dip switches, right? But, you know, if you're, it's a headset, you got that size factor. So they just decided, well, we'll just do it at zeros or nines. What what harm could come from that, right? <laughs> Has anyone tried to change that at all? Or is that still pretty much the case across the board? I, I think it's still pretty much the case across the board. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know about, uh, well, it's been a while since I've done done anything with the with the Bluetooth headsets, but um, you know, I ride a motorcycle. My wife, my wife and I, we both ride motorcycles. And when we're when she's on her bike and I'm on mine, we, we can talk to each other through these Bluetooth headsets that we have that are connected to our helmets. Um, and the range is 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 um, you know um, at least half a mile. I know she's been ahead of me, or I've been ahead of her, and we can still we can still talk. Those those Springle cans. Uh, uh, things when we were running the range testing with the undergrad who built it, we were we were here under the bridge uh, in Torgerson. Torg Bridge, and, yeah, yeah, the Torg Bridge, um, right there on, on the sidewalk, you know, right under it, and and on the and I was walking on the mall with a Mac that had Bluetooth enabled, and I got to Main Street from the bridge, and he could still see the packets coming from my Mac. That's so um, far. Yeah, that's a that's a nice little range thing for you know line of sight. Um, you know, back in 2016 when we moved everybody to two-factor authentication with Duo, um, you know, there were two student groups that set up uh, two websites, um, you know, basically protesting uh, you know uh, 2FA, um, and and they each had like you know 15,000 or 20,000 people you know hitting it. Um, and people, oh, you're just moving this new technology on us. You're imposing it on us. And, and when I used to go out and do talks on it, I said, no, you've been using two-factor technology for at least a decade, if not longer. And they would look at me and I'd say, how many of you are using an ATM card? Mm -hmm. You know, and then boop, you see the, you know, the light go off because I said the card is something that you have and the pin code is something that you know. You know, so... Uh, you know, my, my mother at the time, she she was in the nursing home for Alzheimer's, um, you know, and I had her I had her ATM card. Um, but, you know, I, I told people, I said, well, even if she remembered her pin code, she wasn't going to give it to me because she knew that that, you know, I had her card. So, 
you know, so once once you you know people realize that, then it's like, oh, okay, so yeah, two factors, basically, an ATM card. Yeah. Um, that's a really good uh, way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you know, that's 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 a you know, you you have to sort of explain you know what it what it is you're doing in terms that people can relate to. Um, you know, if you go into techno speak, then only a geek. You know, oh, this is how we implement two-factor authentication. Uh, what the hell does that mean? Uh, you know, it, it means nothing uh, to to an outsider. But you know, if you if you relate it to something like a you know like um, this is like a, a ATM card. Then people get the analogy, you know, that way. But you know, that's something that you know that, that I, I tell students. I said, look, you know, take a take a, 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 a I call it story writing class, but a, a, a creative writing class. You know, to people say, well, what should I take a, as an elective? I said, a creative writing class, technical writing class, and public speaking class. I said those three. Um, because even if you're not good at, at speaking, you might be good at writing <laughs> and vice versa. You know? So, so uh, you want to take that. Uh, and for cybersecurity as well, I, I, I say take a history class and find out how, find out how people use technology that was new at, in that era, in their era. And, and you know, there, there's, always a, there's always a dark side to technology. That, that you know, and the most recent case, of course, is is nuclear. Um, you know, uh, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, so to speak. Uh, you know, once once they developed it and the war was over, he became one of its, uh, you know, uh, uh, most proponents of of you know of uh, not using it because he knew what it could do. Uh, you know, that way, we're we're in this you know um, the deep fake video type stuff. You know, now that you can manipulate, you know, get the, the the lips to match, you know, the words and all that. Um, that that is a real, you know, uh, that's a real danger. I mean, that type of manipulation and some of the forensic stuff that we talk about is how can you detect, you know, that uh, that it's a fake, uh, you know, or not. Um, so, uh, you know, th those are the dark sides to to the technology that we're doing, but. A history course and some of those courses as electives to, to give you that perspective, I think is real important. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, uh, I, I, years ago, people asked me on a panel one time, they said, uh, what uh, two books that, that you know, describe the internet to you? And, and one guy was talking about, I uh, forget, you know, all these management, seek your goals, personal life things. And, and I said, uh, Lord of the Flies in 1984 uh, <laughs> were the two books to me that that you know described internet behavior on the internet, and I hate to say <laughs> it, but I think I'm right. You know, uh -huh. you know the 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 you know 1984 we're at war with East Asia. Well, I thought we were at war with Oceania. No, it's East Asia. You know, um, and and this the whole thing of fake news now. You know, getting you to not trust your news sources and and Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Flies, rather. Sorry, it was Lord of the Flies, not Lord of the Rings. But Lord of the Flies, you know, when the kids get marooned in the island and authority sort of, you know, turns into tribalism. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been really cool. Yeah. Um, 
I think for like so for the end of our podcast, we have yeah. just a couple of things. The first is like a set of rapid fire kind of fun BT sure. questions. Just a couple. Uh, number one, favorite place to eat in Blacksburg? Oh, let's see. Um, uh, Centro Taco. Nice, nice. Most beautiful spot at VT? Most beautiful spot in VT? Yeah. Um, actually, the um, the horticulture gardens up up by a Han Hall. Yeah, the Han Gardens? Yeah, the Han Gardens. They're really pretty. Yeah. Maroon or orange? Maroon. That was quick. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, a hokey? I look like a tra- I look like a traffic cone in orange. So that's a <laughs> What was the other one? What's a hokey? Oh, anybody in Virginia Tech anywhere in the world. Uh-huh. I like uh, that I, answer. I I was hiking <laughs> one time with my wife out in uh in uh, uh, Arches National Park through one of the back trails, and I had a VT, you know, baseball cap on, and turns out the guy was a computer science graduate from uh, the era when I was a computer scientist. <laughs> <laughs> that actually happened to me in Glacier National Park. So, Did, yeah, I guess Hokies really like national parks. That's I think so. Hokies everywhere. <laughs> and last one, what's best your, memory. Oh, sorry. Uh, what's your yeah best memory at VT? <laughs> Oh, best memory at VT. Wow. <laughs> um, Jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, well, my best memory at VT was when I finally graduated with my undergrad degree. <laughs> 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 Senior year was the best three years of my life. So uh, <laughs> it was a long, it was a long journey. Uh, you know, I, I finished school part time and and uh, when when I realized that I'd, I'd finally gotten all the credits I needed to graduate, yeah, that was a good time. Well, yeah. And look how far you've come after that. So hopefully that's <laughs> inspiring for all of the students listening. Oh uh, yeah, I mean you know the whether you whether you're doing it formal or not, always be learning, always be learning stuff. Yeah. And our final thing to ask is, do you have any recommendations for just any interesting like literature or art or anything like media that you consume, anything cool that you read or watch? It can be cybersecurity or VT related or completely separate. Well, um, cybersecurity related in the short term, um, you know, the, the IT security lab, when school's in session, um, every week we have uh, seminars on some of the research things that, that students are working on. And that's kind of an interesting, you know, um, thing just to see some of these applications, the the plant, the the, the Nerf gun, some other things like that were out of that. Um, uh, music, the music scene in this area, um, um, not just uh, you know the, the the wide variety, but the the music that's in that's indigenous to surrounding area, the Appalachian music. We are in we are in one of the the, the cultural centers of, of um, you know, acoustic music um, um, all within two hours of here. Um, and some of the best musicians around, uh, uh, you know, and what we would call traditional or country music uh, are here, but, you know, take advantage of that. Floyd Fest was just, um, you know, this past weekend in Floyd, it's about 25 miles away. Um, and then, you know, I, I ride bicycles and, and, uh, the Transamerica uh, cross-country uh, um, route runs uh, through Blacksburg down in Ellet Valley. 
Um, you know, so from that, that part, um, part of it, um, you know, we've got the new river um, and the whitewater rafting, uh, you know, an hour and a half away up in West Virginia. Um, so you got all sorts of things. The Appalachian Trail, if you like to go hiking, they're all within, you know, um, uh, 10 miles from here. So those, those are really are cool. good things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard about that trail. I'll have to go check it out. The Transamerica? Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, bike centennial is the, is the, the outfit. It's a 4,000 mile route that runs from Astoria, Oregon to Yorktown, Virginia. And it, oh, cool. it runs through, it runs through um, um, down in Ellet Valley, at the bottom yeah. of the hill from Harding, runs from there through Christiansburg and, and, you know, it basically goes up through near Charlottesville on its way to Yorktown. That's really nice. Well, yeah. thank you for coming on the podcast. This has been a really oh, no, cool no experience. Problem, guys. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any um, socials or research or opportunities that you want to tell the listeners about? Yeah, I mean, we're always looking for, on the undergrad side uh, at the IT security lab, we're always looking for students that, that are interested in either doing some sort of a research project or, or if you want a, um, you know, a wage job of some sort to help out uh, the full-time analysts here. Uh, we always have these job opportunities for people. Um, you know, we don't expect you to, to know a lot. Um, and that's why, that's, you know, where you'll learn. Um, you know, from that standpoint, security.vt.edu is our website, and you can take a look there and see some of the stuff that we've been working on. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and thank you to all of the listeners. It's been a long time since we've had an episode. I think it's been I don't know, at least a year now. So, But we are back. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and let us know what, what else you want to see. Yeah. After a night that burned